Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Driving Innovation, How to Foster a Culture of Innovation Within Your Team. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 319. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I think you will really enjoy hearing from today's guest. If you have listened to any other podcasts over the last few years, you have probably heard ads for his company. I actually heard one just yesterday on an NPR show. (laughs) He is the president and CEO of Sattva, the smarter luxury sleep brand, which is the largest privately held luxury mattress company selling direct to consumers. Prior to Sattva, he spent his entire career in the home furnishing industry, so he really understands this space. Welcome to the show, Ron Rudson. Uh, Thank you, Elizabeth. Pleasure to be here with you. I'm just so glad you could join me. I just shared very top level highlights, but I'd love it if you could kind of introduce yourself to our listeners, maybe tell your story a bit. Uh, sure. Um, again, Ron Rudson, President and CEO of Sattva, uh, Smarter Luxury Sleep. Uh, we're a pure DTC company. Uh, we launched in 2010. Uh, I always like to tell everyone, because anytime that you mention online and mattresses, people presume you're a bed in a box. We are not a bed in a box. We are a premium mattress brand. Uh, I have 19 factories throughout the United States that build our product. We have 150 in-home white glove delivery installation companies. Uh, So we make real luxury mattresses, the type that you see in stores all over the country, uh, except we sell them in an e-commerce fashion, just like you know, the other online mattress companies, except again, we're not a bed in a box. We, uh, we address really the premium market um, and our products are all eco-friendly. We operate in seven different categories of mattresses, luxury Innispring, uh, ultra premium memory foam, uh, natural latex, latex hybrid. We do heavy duty for larger folks. We have a custom youth mattress. Uh, we also do customizable air 50 settings. Uh, so we have a, f- a full array of, of mattresses that you can buy online, and we are now um, also in the process of joining the retail transformation and uh, opening up our four-wall viewing room concept throughout the United States. Nice. Um, I know I, I, I am very intrigued at, um, at that whole white glove delivery. I personally bought a mattress in a box before there were all of these companies selling mattress in a boxes. And that was pretty magical seeing it expand. But the idea of a professional installing it <laughs> is a little bit yeah. different. Yeah, it's different. Well, you know, we, we really address the premium customer. Um, yep. You know, obviously the bed in the box is, you know, more for the lower end and the expectation of a bed being compressed in a box and dropped on the doorstep is one way of buying a mattress. And it works for certain companies, of course. Yep. The first um, mattress I bought for myself. Yeah, we just do something a little different. Um, And again, uh, you know, we really offer a luxury experience, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, again, white glove delivery. Also, 40% of our customers need their old bed taken out. We do that. We also remove all the debris. Also, in addition to our mattresses, we also have uh, upholstered designer beds, and that requires installation. So we we need our network. We need our, you know, manufacturing delivery network to be uh, obviously addressing the premium customer in this country in the mattress space. Absolutely. Um, I, I really want to kind of take a deep dive into that because you were one of the first real leaders in selling mattresses online. Historically, it had been completely a brick and mortar sort of a sale. Everybody thought, I've got to lie on the mattress. I've got to go to the mattress store and kind of test everything out. How did you make the decision to pursue the opportunity to sell online? Yeah, it was it was in 2008. Um, 
you know, my partner and I, we, we, we knew that the highest margin item in the home furnishing space was the luxury mattress. So we attacked that and I went out and I did a raw materials analysis of the, you know, number one selling or the top selling luxury mattresses in the country at the time in 2008, you know, like the Stearns and Foster, mm-hmm. uh, Simmons Beauty Rest, the, you know, mattresses of that type that, that were like $2,500 in the queen size mm-hmm. category. And uh, after I did the raw materials analysis and took out all of the brick and mortar costs um, and everything associated with insurance, commercial rents, you know, the excess amount of commissions and salespeople that you need, and you just sold online, I was able to sell that same quality mattress using those same raw materials, my own twist on it, of course, uh, we were able to sell it for $1,000 less. And I knew that if I was selling that quality um, for $1,000 less, very few would return. And it worked mm-hmm. like a charm. And we were really the first ones at scale selling mattresses online. You know, Casper launched in 2015. And um, I remember my my junior partner calling me at the time saying, this is like really good for us. You know, anybody who helps, you know, people understand that you can buy mattresses online is great for obviously us in our space. Uh, but also anybody who wanted to come into the mattress industry basically was going to, you know, try to do the bed in a box because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, than, than developing, you know, manufacturing all over the country and home white glove delivery, all the communication, you know, the other way, a bed in a box is just an easier business. And sure enough, you know, about 150 bed in a box companies have launched. Yep. Uh, not many, not many are here today. Uh, it's really just a few of the, the larger ones that are, that are still around, but um, it's just a different business. Uh, they have their way of doing business and some will be successful. Uh, but we have been very fortunate uh, to be in the luxury space um, and the online customer, you know, accelerated uh, for the for the lower priced, um, you know, online mattress earlier, and now it's poised for the luxury space. Right now, we're we're pacing about four hundred million dollars, and uh, you know, we have a clear path to a billion in revenue over the next five years. That's a really great point, and definitely something that you know. Um, I'll go back to just my example because I remember doing it. I bought my bed on Amazon. And again, this was like, this was years and years ago, the first mattress I bought and a few hundred dollars, probably it came in a box, it expanded. And I was the first person that I knew who had bought a mattress online because I have that experience in that story. I can speak to buying a mattress online. And so it's just become more of the conversation. Obviously now you have a strategic differentiator in that it's not a bed in a box. It's a white glove experience. You have a professional that you're working with. I don't have to carry a box up to my fourth floor walk up apartment by myself, which was not fun. Um, <laughs> no, also, it's also about who can buy your product. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are a lot of people just wouldn't do it. Look, there's, there's, there's a business for bed in a box. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, we always tell people when they call our call centers, if you're going to buy a bed in a box, if that's, you know, that's the level bed that you want, you don't really have to spend that much money. Um, you know, what we're doing is we're trying to democratize luxury so that $2,500 bed, we're really selling for $1,400. Definitely. Uh, which makes it, which makes it, you know, really appealing to the masses and they're getting an eco-friendly luxury mattress, just like they see in stores delivered whole. And that's not, not com- crushed or compressed into a small box. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I recognize, um, you know, that Amazon basics sells a bed for, for $400, but you know, our, our customer is just a different customer than that. Definitely. And the more you have, you know, so you've got a market that's now even more primed to at least understand what it is that you're doing and not be weirded out by it. But also, um, you have a real strategic focus on who exactly you're selling to. And I think that's something that 
anytime you're launching a company, it can be so tempting to just say, we're going to serve everybody. We're going to have a product for everyone. We're going to have the cheapest possible bed and the most expensive possible bed. And we're going to have all these different methods. But the fact that you've just honed in on this is the experience we're providing to our customers gives you that brand strength that people know what it is that you do. And that's a really valuable thing. Absolutely. Also, I didn't want to play a numbers game. Usually with cheaper mattresses, it's just a numbers game. You sell X amount, X amount are going to be returned. We still maintain you know, the lowest uh, return rate in our space. And uh, we're just so happy that we went into this segment of, of, of the space. Uh, again, um, it's not like there aren't companies doing well at the lower end. But um, you know, for us, I wanted to build an elevated brand. Um, I wanted to keep it purely direct to consumer, uh, which means that um, I didn't want to go wholesale. Um, mm -hmm. You know, our our product can only be bought through our web experience, call centers, and our viewing rooms, and that's how I think today you build an elevated brand. Definitely, and just that that consistency that people will recognize over time. Again. Uh, when when I was first introduced to you, I was like, I know that company and I know it's a luxury mattress. So it's stuck in my mind. You know, Elizabeth, <laughs> what's also happening today, which is interesting, is that, and not just the Sotfa company, we, we, we've done our share and in and, and, and large part, in a sense, many companies, including ours, have been really giving great information online about mm -hmm. how sleep is tied to health and wellness. Mm -hmm. You weren't you weren't finding that you know ten fifteen years ago. Um, today, you know, there's just great information on how you know that sleep is an activity, um, how important it is, um, and you know, I launched this company. I wanted to be eco friendly. We have a very strong green initiative. You know, my the fabrics uh, on my on my beds are all antimicrobial organic cotton. Uh, we use bio-based foams. We use recycled steel rod. We use thizzle for our flame retardant rather than having, you know, uh, harmful chemicals sprayed on. And uh, today it's it's just so primed, you know, when you think about how customers think about, you know, bacteria and, and cleanliness and hygiene and, mm -hmm. and, and health and wellness and how important their sleep is. It's just changed. And, and you know, Saf is leaning right into that. And the, the entire space, though, has done a really good job. We've, we've written alone over 500 articles that you'll see out in the world today, um, you know, on health and wellness and how, and how it's tied to sleep. Absolutely. I think um, Ariana Huffington as well has mm -hmm. been a really great proponent of just the importance of sleep. She had that experience where I believe she she passed out due to a lack of sleep and, and hit her head. And um, she she has been just um, an excellent communicator on how important it is. Uh, I, I am not yet to the level of her sleep routine, which is, it sounds magical, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think mattress helps. Yeah, she was. Uh, I would say she was the pioneer. Mm -hmm. I think. I think that was about. If I'm not mistaken, I think she started talking about that six or seven years ago, and a lot of mattress companies online who who have the capability to really understand commu communicating through social media and SEO and those kinds of things. She was uh, the pioneer. So yeah, um, she really did a great uh, great thing for the country in that sense because uh, I think she's brought in brought, um, you know, heightened awareness uh, to how important it is. And, you know, I work with some some charities here with, uh, you know, young children and uh, particularly 
um, for young kids. They, you know, they, they have to learn how to, to get their good night's sleep. Got to make sure that mm-hmm. it's, uh, that's what, you know, we, we want to make sure that kids are sleeping on really good mattresses and getting a great night's sleep helps them think better. And has, they have a more productive life, obviously, when you get a better sleep. I think everyone does. Definitely. I think anybody who's been around a child that did not get enough sleep, especially a very young child, will recognize the importance of kids getting oh, sleep. No, no, no doubt about that. <laughs> I've got 15 nieces and nephews and oh my goodness. <laughs> I got your beat. I have 19. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Isn't it wonderful? It is. <laughs> but, but yeah, when they sleep. So um, that's that's such a great example. And yeah, sometimes just those big trends happening in the space, people really understanding a topic can be really helpful. That kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about next, because this is a, a new big trend that's happening. Um, you built Sattva as an online retailer, right? Selling exclusively online. But you recently decided to invest in that in-person retail experience. What kind of led you to decide to do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, great question. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. My first career, I was in home furnishings and I built out 219 stores with a company called Jennifer Convertibles. And, um, you know, so in the late 80s and 90s, early, even early 2000s, especially, you know, when I talk about retail, I always like to break up, you know, Target and Walmart. That's a different type of retail. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about specialty retailing. Uh, in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, it was really about trying to be in front of the customer by being in every town on every corner uh, so they see you. And that's how you were communicating and getting to the customer. And what happened is all these companies, whether it be a, you know, a clothing company, uh, whether it be a J. Crew or whomever else has restructured their real estate, you know, you, you get, it becomes a very, very hungry bear that you mm-hmm. have to feed every 30 days when those rents are due. Uh-huh. Today, what we realized is that, you know, I started in 2010 and we were the first ones to really sell luxury mattresses at scale online. And you realize that nobody was buying mattresses online in 2010. And today we have it up over 20% of people buy just with a home trial. Uh-huh. But that sounds great, right? You know, it's a, it's a $17, $18 billion industry in the country. And, and, and to get, you know, t- over 20% to buy online is fascinating. It's great for, for me, for our business, for my employees. Uh, but at the end of the day, it still leaves 70, 80% of people uh-huh. still like to go out and feel and touch. And they just want that experience. So being that I have retail experience and digital experience now for 10 years, um, I, you know, I, I always tell everyone, you know, what's the difference uh, in a CEO to make a good CEO as compared to a bad CEO or an average CEO? And, you know, most most CEOs have the same information on numbers and their products and so forth. But the real difference is vision. Mm-hmm. And for me, the vision that I'm seeing here and, and how I'm leading my company is that I believe there's a retail transformation happening in this country right now mm-hmm. as we speak. Um, and it's happening quickly. I was on 58th Street this morning uh, between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. Half the stores were empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it, 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 So you, you really have to understand how to do retail right in this transformation. And when you're a digital first company like Sattva, Sattva.com, we are a digital first company. We are an e-commerce company that is creating a full wall experience. But I don't need to have a store in every corner. Our philosophy is that, and I call them viewing rooms. So I've created this four wall experience um, in the, and we're going to put our viewing rooms on the best street in the best cities where we convert best all over the country. But it's not hundreds and hundreds of stores. 
Uh, you know, over the next 15 months, we're going to open up about 16, 17 viewing rooms. Over the next three years, it'll be 50 to 65. And over five years, we're still going to be under 100. You know, and that's basically a store or two per state or, you know, obviously California will have a few more in New York. The biggest states will have a few more. But the idea is that when you have e-commerce capabilities, you're really able. And if you give the consumer a great experience when they search you and for today, when people go online, 80 percent of consumers that go online today will see Safa. So mm-hmm. We have great performance capabilities. We understand the online. I've been doing it for 10 years. My team is extraordinary. And we're able to drive consumers now. They'll come see you if you tell your story properly and your brand is speaking to the consumer the right way. The consumer, if they can't pull the trigger on a home trial, they'll come see you. And today Mm -hmm. we're finding they'll drive 30, 40 miles to come see you. That makes a four wall operation um, in combination with e-commerce very, very efficient. So, you know, we opened up our first viewing room on 57th Street between 57th and 58th on 3rd Avenue in Manhattan. Um, To call it successful is an understatement. It's wildly successful. In 3,300 square feet, we write over $7 million on our own equipment there, on our own iPads and our own workstations. And as the CEO of the company, I didn't really care if the consumer came in and bought on our equipment or not. Um, All I was worried about was what I call, you know, what what we call the DMA, right? The the designated marketing area around the viewing room. So I didn't care if people came in, touched and felt it. And then they went home and bought on their iPhone or on their, their desktop. It didn't matter to me. All I wanted to do was create an incredible experience and bring my brand to life for the consumer. And that's what we did. And it wound up being really, really successful. So I, I try to create an environment that brought the brand to life and exceeded the customer's expectation. And I think any company today that is omni-channel trying to do, a, a, you know, trying to sell in a couple of different channels, for me, it's, it's as long as I control every touch point. So we sell through our own viewing rooms and our own web. All of the people that talk about our mattress were trained by us. Uh, you know, I don't want someone selling my mattress and then selling a camera, you know, 10 minutes later. That's not an elevated <laughs> experience. So um, uh, by having a light retail footprint, but having a dominant presence online and always keeping the retail footprint small in proportion to the e-commerce business, it will work. Um, and that's why I'm excited. We just signed leases in Los Angeles. We'll be on Melrose right across from the design center. We're on Post Street. Um, in San Francisco. We're opening up on 14th Street in Washington, D.C., Newberry Street in Boston. We're opening up in Lincoln Park in Chicago. And we have boots on the ground now in Austin, Denver, Miami, Palm Beach, um, Buckhead in Atlanta. So we're so excited to get these open because I love bringing the software experience and bringing it to life for the consumer. Definitely. That that really comes out in your voice. And um, I think that one of the the interesting things is it sounds like you're able to use that mix of experience and intuition with the data that we're able to get now and really understanding where should you be placing these these viewing rooms and not just kind of guessing. And I, I feel like in the past, it was just, you've got to overwhelm the market because you're not exactly sure where things are going to come from. Whereas it sounds like you have a really strong um, perspective on where exactly it makes the most sense to place your well, locations. Yeah when, you're, yeah. when you're an e-commerce company like ours, um, you know, to do the, the type of business we do online, right? We're pacing over $400 million to do that. 
you need to have an incredible data team. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just can't go out there and guess every day in the auctions and and think that your ads are going to work every way. You, you know, we we have a team of data experts that are engineers that are just working every day. Um, you know, telling us where to go. Um, you know, for most of the locations, I think I can tell you with almost mathematical certainty, and not being arrogant, it's just data where we convert best and what we will do. Uh, in revenue and what we'll do to our marketing efficiency in these specific towns that we go to. Um, you know, for us, it, it's when you do the retail footprint, I, I think today I also view it as, as as probably the most efficient way to do brand awareness work for your company. Mm. Most companies, if they're new and they're startups and they, they get to a certain level, they get over the mountain where they can kind of have like a data team and they have enough money coming in to have a big engineering team. That's all wonderful. And we have that. But at the end of the day, you know, what is it that really gets a company over the top? So you have to do a lot of brand work. So some companies will go out and they'll blow, you know, $100 million, $200 million just putting it out there. And if you're if you're purely online, and only 20% of people in your space buy online and you're trying to do out of market advertising where you know if you if you if you put money into a billboard and 98% of the people that drive by the billboard on that day don't need your product it's very costly mm-hmm. so and then of that 2% they go online they can only buy online that again makes it even that much more costly costly so for us when we open up our viewing rooms in each market, it allows us to go out and be efficient with brand marketing. And we actually view the viewing room as a marketing expense. In a sense to us, it's a three-dimensional billboard that produces cash. And I think today, <laughs> in, in today's retail transformation in the digital revolution, this is the smartest way to build a brand uh, and build brand awareness. Again, anyone, you know, you can want to go out and raise money and, and give up equity of your company and, and, and throw, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at the wall, see what sticks. That's fine. Or hope that you, you, you get a viral video that works. Those are all wonderful, you know, approaches for some people. For us, we are so methodical in how we're doing this and how we're growing the business. And we, we've always been ROI focused. We make money. We have double digit EBITDA. And I think this is the smartest approach. Uh, in the retail transformation that we're living in today. That really, um, taking that that modern, again, approach with data to what is historically, um, I would say, a pretty traditional <laughs> sort of a, a market, you you first started that when you launched Sagva and um, had that strategy of bringing luxury mattresses to the, to the online space, but now yeah. really rethinking retail. Yeah. You know, Elizabeth, you know, you know, you know, in other interviews that I've done, people will ask the question, you know, what is what keeps you up or what you have done differently? And obviously, we've been very blessed and we have a very strong business uh, that has an incredibly bright future. But if I had to make one change over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, I really put a big data team together about three or four years ago. If I had to do in retrospect, I would have I would have invested so heavily in my data team seven or eight years ago, um, and I would have spent that money then, and we'd probably be a hundred million ahead of where we're at today. Mm. But, uh, you know, companies today you have to have strong data, and the programs that are out there, whether it be through Google or Facebook, um, it, it, it what's available to us today as compared to just twenty years ago is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And any regular retailer that's out there that's doing regular retail and waiting for customers to walk by uh, that aren't qualified, um, 
that's a tough road to, 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 to go down. Um, yeah, you better opinion. be an optimist. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you have to have something driving your consumer to your four wall operation where they come in and, and, and they're excited to get to your four wall operation. And then once they get there, you have to exceed that customer's expectation, give them great service, give them a great environment. Obviously your products have to work. They have to show up and that's how you have a, an over 70% closing rate. Absolutely. Um, you've, you've just shared one of them that just focus on data, but um, what are, do you have any other key best practices that you've learned as you've been um, in this leadership role, growing your business, either through the online experience or as you're shifting to this hybrid model? Um, yeah, you, you know, for, for me, um, one of the, the like leadership today, first of all, one of the, you know, in today's world, there are a few things that are so different than just 20 years ago. And I, I find it remarkable. You, you, one of the reasons why I went into the business was in 2007, 2008, when I started to really study the space, I realized that the um, the industry, the mattress industry had really developed a, a horrible reputation for itself. You know, you had brands would blame the retailer, the retailer would blame the brand if there was a customer problem and the customer then stuck in the middle. Yeah. Customers couldn't also, they couldn't comparison shop. Um, you know, if you go to Bloomingdale's on 59th Street, and at the time, let's say a Sleepy's on 58th Street, they would have the same brand. It would seem like the same matches, but a stitching would be different or the welting would be different. And they were doing that just so you couldn't, you know, comparison shop. And, and sattva means purity and truth in Sanskrit. That's what that's mm. where the name comes from. And I wanted to bring truth and purity to the space. So we have all of our specs on our website. We wanted to, we wanted people to buy from us through objective measures of comparison. Just make the comparison and then make your choice because I believe you could save $1,000. The risk of it going back is very small and you'll save $1,000. And I just believe that um, today there is people can press one button and they can send a bad review wherever they want to send it. Because you know today we have to behave right and it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a bad thing. And our employees today, they want to know that you're doing good things in the world. Mm -hmm. um, they want to be part of a company that does uh, exciting work uh, in the areas where they do business. Uh, so that's why we do work with Haka. You know, one of, one of my offices is in Austin, one's in New York. So I do work with Haka in, uh, in Austin. And in New York, we work with Pencil.org, which helps New York City school children. You know, and we connect, we connect them to business uh, where they normally wouldn't be able to. So it's, it's today understanding the modern world um, and, and not fighting it. You know, mm. when, you see, when you see parents getting mad at kids who are on their phone all day, I look at that. I, I would also get mad too. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But I also look at it and say, well, I don't know if I could stop that. It's kind of like standing in front of a wave and trying to stop it. You know? <laughs> this is the new world you're living in. You know, as Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing. You know, get out of the old one if you can't lend your hand. And and the, the bottom line is, um, you know, I look at those things and I say, how can I make money at that? Right. This is the way the world is going. So you got to be really open minded. Surround yourself with what I call cross generational management. You need some gray hair and you need some young folks. You need gender differences. You need race differences all in your company, giving their opinions, giving their perspectives. And you have to be mindful of it. Don't be lazy. Make it happen. Get them all in a room, build consensus, 
and you as the leader make the decision. That's what I would recommend today. That's that's a really powerful recommendation. I think so often people think about um, some of the things that you were just discussing as negatives, like you said, you know, the idea of diversity, they're like, oh, I have to, I've got to check the box, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. And they don't recognize that when you have people of all these different backgrounds, they're each going to bring their valuable perspective and you're going to learn. If you don't have any younger employees and you don't understand how younger people think, you're going to be selling to people you understand and, you know. Lots of young people grow up every year. <laughs> they get younger all the time. Elizabeth, in, in all honesty, I, uh, you know, I have a young, a lot of young folks that I know, um, you know, to trying to understand how to get a startup going, how to get into business. I would never invest in a company that has an all young management, and I would never invest in a company that has a, an all old management. I would <laughs> only invest in cross generational, because you do need some 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 experienced folks who've been to the wars, who's, who, who have, whether it be, you know, um, uh, you know, understanding what hurdles might come in manufacturing or logistics and, and, and uh, you know, financial crashes, you know, people who've just lived through it and had the experience. And then you need the young, fresh minds also who really know how to communicate in the world today in a way that, uh, you know, a certain generation doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and putting that all in the room and then making it, um, uh, diversified uh, it, with with gender and race is just all the better. And when you put it all into a room, it's explosive and it's wonderful. And uh, you should you you should chase it. You should want it. Um, and those are the companies that will do best today. My, my my office in Austin. I love saying this. I love telling people this. Uh, my Austin office. We speak twenty six languages. Oh wow, that's awesome. And I just I just love that. I think that's. Uh, by the way, I speak one. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I can speak restaurant Spanish. <laughs> I, I tell everyone I speak Queens. That's right. I, uh, I I have to say, just really bluntly, I love that you're. You clearly are passionate about this, but you get it from a business perspective. You're not just saying, you know, I have these lofty ideas that we should do this because it makes the world a better place. I, I'm not saying that you don't agree with that, but you're saying, no, this actually helps you be a better company. And I think that's something a lot of people could could stand to realize is that you don't have to be in this to, to change the world, but you're going to have a better, stronger company if you if you embrace these ideas. Yeah. I'll tell you, Elizabeth, what's funny with that is, so uh, just to, I don't want to go off too much here so you can sh- shut me up quickly here, but my, my father really raised me to never boast, right? You know, just if, if, mm-hmm. if you hit a good ball in baseball, don't talk about it. People saw it. You don't have to say anything. If you're good, they'll know you're good. And for years, my partners and I, we would do really nice charitable work, but we would never say anything because we always felt like, you know, why are we saying anything? It's, you know, we, we're going to do what we do. And, you know, by saying it, it's kind of like, you know, hey, look at us. But today, you know, uh, and again, we have we have 300 employees. They want to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. They want to be part of it. So on our town halls, I always do updates on all the work that we're doing. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like, hey, look at us, we're doing this. But at the end of the day, they want, not only do they want to know that we're doing it, they want to be involved, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. During COVID, um, one of these, one of the silver linings of this, uh, you know, horrible last year and a half is that we've been able to develop a mentoring program that we were trying to develop live that we couldn't get going for like two years because of logistics, trying to get nine kids to go to Austin to sit with my web team or my creative team. Now I'm doing it online 
and we're getting 150 kids online to sit there with my creative team or my digital product team and they're learning and they're engaging and it's so easy. I just set up a time and whoever can come to the call within seven or 10 days, you can get, you know, 75 kids on a call and they, they, they log in. So, um, you know, we've learned to communicate differently. And I love that about business today. And I also love the speed of which we're going at today. People, and that's something I don't want to, I don't know if you want to get into that, but that's another thing about business today. It's moving at a speed uh, that will be written about. Um, I don't think uh, we're in the middle of it now, but uh, in time it will be written about. You'll, you'll see a few articles that we're meeting and and coming to decisions so much faster than we ever have mm. because of the Zoom hangout um, era that we're now in. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll come back to that. But um, just that point that you were making on how employees want to be a part of something. That's an incredibly powerful thing. You think of the desire that so many people have to join the Peace Corps or to work for an NGO or to be involved in their community or to be involved in um, in a church or synagogue. You know, people have a desire to be a part of something good. And sometimes there's a company that all they do is something good. And then it can be really exciting to work there because you feel like you're part of that mission. But not every company can do that, right? Somebody has to make and sell mattresses. It's important. And so to have people, um, you know, to, to first of all, treat them right when they're when they're at work and provide a good working experience, but then to also say, hey, we're going to use the profits of what we're making. We're going to, um, we're going to give back to the world and we're going to give you an opportunity to participate. That's a great way to just engage your employees and really have them feel like you know that they want to take advantage of opportunities like that and you're creating the space for them to do that. So it's a really important thing. Um, you, you've seen some companies do it for a long time, but I think there's a lot of organizations, you know, even if it's it's a short-term thing, like a, a Habitat for Humanity project. I did one of those with a, with a group of people and you just, you bond together when you're doing something as a group like that. It's a, it's a really powerful thing. I could not agree with you more. And, and, you know, and it's okay. You know, I'm very honest when I talk, I said, look, we have to be, you know, one thing feeds the other, right? Mm -hmm. We have to be, you know, the, look, in America, the world's coming at you every morning. As soon as you wake up, whether you turn on your computer or turn on a radio, whatever it is, there's ads coming at you, buy this, wear this, you're supposed to look this way. You're supposed to wear these kind of clothes. You're supposed to drive this kind of car. And unless you're, you know, unless you wake up and you got to be aggressive and fight back and that this is the world we live in. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very, very clear that we are an aggressive business that's out here looking to uh, sell great products, give great experience to earn money, to, you know, pay our shareholders and pay our employees and grow our business, all those things. And uh, look, we also do this and, and with our goodness, and all the good that has come to us, we, now we're going to go and share and we want you to be part of it. And our employees absolutely love it. I agree with you completely, Elizabeth. Yeah. And that's a great point in that it it can also help you provide that, you know what, if I if our department does better, if we're able to figure out how to cut costs, you know, obviously, again, it's not all going to charity or not a not-for-profit, but right. um, you are providing more room and more opportunity for for things like that. And that's a really, um, a really great message to be able to provide. Um, I, I do now want to go back to, I know you are all about kind of paying attention to trends and, and what's happening. And one thing that you just mentioned in terms of just the speed of how business is happening now, um, I, I definitely agree. I'm seeing the same thing. Um, are there any other big uh, trends like that that you're noticing that you feel like people should should keep an eye out for? 
Yeah. Well, well, this one here that we're in now, you know, I, I, I just wrote about this uh, recently. Um, I remember the first time, I don't remember the exact conversation, but I remember the feeling of the first time I was on a car phone. Like when I, when I actually was mm-hmm. driving home from the office and I made a call for like the first time and I, I did business and it might've been a, like a, I was driving from Long Island to Connecticut. And it was, it was, I, I realized I said, Oh my goodness, I just saved 40 minutes of my day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So when you now fast forward that to today. So uh, the way I like to tell everyone, this is about three or four weeks ago, I had a really slow Wednesday on my calendar. Uh, so I, I called the person who helps me run my office and I said, listen, I have a slow Wednesday. Can we get a couple of calls? Can you get me, you know, Laura and Sean in sales? I want to talk about the sales team. Get me this one in engineering, get me this one in digital product. And I wound up doing like three or four updates on that Wednesday and we were able to coordinate it. And one call had six people on it. One call might've had three people on it. One call might've had nine people on it. And I was able to get them all in the room. If it was two years ago, for me to get them live in a room to have a conversation or coordinate a phone call even, it would just take forever. So what's happening now, and people aren't realizing, you companies, certainly, you know, companies like ours, we're, we're so into today and, and how, we, how we communicate, we're coming to decisions quickly because we're meeting more often. And we just recently went remote optional for good, other than our, obviously our retail operation, which requires people to be there. And other than some training, um, we uh, made the decision. I made the clear decision that I want to remain remote optional. I will talk people into trying to come to our offices and use them. Mm-hmm. If they want to get out of the house one day a week, one day every two weeks, um, if they want to have lunch sessions or meeting sessions, some of them will be required to come in for meetings, uh, for sessions. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we, we might need that, but today, um, we are so productive in the way we're working remotely and we're working so fast. And yes, you know, you might see, um, you know, a dog jump onto the screen when you're on a zoom call, or you might see uh, <laughs> a kid jump through. I don't care. Uh, because uh, I'm not going to win that battle. The way you win is knowing that you you either trust an employee and their work is measurable or it's not. So mm-hmm. for me, if I trust the employee and their work is measurable and we're being productive, I know that even though they might parlay, you know, an afternoon and for watching their kid and saving some money. Also today, you've got people jumping back on their computers at nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Or they jump on 6.30 in the morning. So it's just a different eight hours. It's just not a straight eight hours. And they love having the extra money, uh, you know, because obviously when you go to an office, you know, you, you pick up the $6 worth of coffee and, and nonsense at Starbucks. Then you spend $13 at the deli at lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, at home, you buy, uh, you know, a half a pound of a meat and a loaf of bread. It lasts you three days. And people love having the extra money. Uh, they love pressing the button at, at 445, 5 o'clock and being in their kitchen or being home with whomever or walking their dog or spending more time. It's all okay. As long as the work is measurable, production's up, and you, it's just the work schedule is different than it was just two years ago. I personally love it. Over the last 18 months, we hired about 125 people in 18 states. I love it. And 
what's interesting too is if you think about it, we're now seeing that this can work. And so many leaders like you are recognizing that. And I feel like the the fight in the last maybe five years has been employees saying, please let me work remote, please let me work remote. And organizations saying, we're not set up for that, we don't trust you, um, and all these other things. And this was kind of the tipping point. It forced organizations to have to do it. They were like, oh, it actually does work. Um, and, and figuring out and having just that clarity of, you know what, training will be in person. You know what? Um, when you're having this kind of an event, we, we strongly recommend it's in person. But like you said, you had people who were half paying attention when they were at work because they were thinking of the stuff going on at home that they weren't able to to stay on top of. And so if it's easier for somebody to have that that 20 minutes that they're going to take dealing with a childcare issue or whatever it might be, and then be able to get right back to, to focus, they're going to be much more focused than if they're sitting at home trying to coordinate with a babysitter and family members and all these other people trying to <laughs> trying to make something happen. So just even presence of mind is um, definitely improved. Yeah, well, you know, with, with really, when you think about it, right, you know, you have, uh, you, you know, the, 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 the retail Walmarts and Target employees and CVS and Dwayne Reeds, and then you have firemen and uh, police uh, officers and you have... Uh, you know, I and, and teachers, whatever. There, there are functions that obviously have to go in person. Restaurants and things, the haircutters. I, I get all that, but there's another type of work that's measurable. That we're, really, where does it matter if they're sitting in a cubicle or an office or they're sitting home? And the word you, you uh, reiterated, trust, is really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Does the employee trust the, the? Does the employer and trust the trust the employee? I do because I feel my work is measurable. And um, I know how, I, and I've interviewed and I've spoken to enough of my friends and people that I know um, as I was trying to make the decision to be remote optional. And I asked, you know, I've asked 35-year-old moms. I've asked 41-year-old dads. I've asked single folks, what is it that you're looking for? Pet owners that I know. And my conclusion is remote optional is the, the best choice if, if your, your functions allow for that. And, you know, when you hear uh, Jamie Dimon from J.B. Morgan Chase, who I have the utmost respect for, I think he's one of the most brilliant people on planet Earth. But, you know, he's saying that people have to get back to work and they will. You know, they, I don't know how those buildings ever get filled in midtown Manhattan to eight, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. I just personally don't see it. Um, you know, they own the paper on those buildings, so I'm sure they want people to come back and make those, <laughs> the value of those buildings what they were. Um, but uh, I just don't think that's thinking long term in the modern way. I think this there if COVID lasted three months, everything would have went back to the way it was. But after a year mm-hmm. and a half, life has changed. Things yeah. have, this is a this is a a, a, a a systemic change in the way we live and operate and work. Definitely. I will say even just silly things, right? I, um, like many people, my size has changed over the course of COVID. And I had an in-person event recently. And I was just like, my work clothes don't fit me because all I have to wear is work tops because that's all you see on Zoom. So even just silly things, you know, I'm not spending nearly as much money on dry cleaning as I was when I was out and about all the time and all these dry clean only clothes. And so it's, it's, it's a different world that we're in and people have gotten used to certain things. And, and I think You'll see some organizations that try to force um, everybody to come back and they're going to see a lot of turnover because their employees know they can go to other places um, that'll allow them to work from home. So um, that's also a big thing. Yeah. And the way I, the way I think about it, when I, when I see how the world has changed again, I had mentioned earlier that I was on 58th street this morning. Uh, I was also down second Avenue and there was so many empty stores 
And I've always played this game with myself because I, I view myself as a serial entrepreneur. Certainly, uh, I like to believe I'm innovative when it comes to retail. And I would always, you know, for years, I would always look at a location or, or drive past a, a place where there's stores. And I, if I ever saw an empty store, I would always look at it and go, what would I put in there? What, what, what type of business would work in that empty store that I'm looking at? And this morning when I was coming down 2nd Avenue, there were so many stores that were empty. 58th Street between 2nd and 3rd, I think it was uh, half the stores were, were just empty. And I couldn't think of what I would put in there today in the retail transformation digital revolution that we're living in. I just don't know what I would do. I, you know, For me, it seems like digital brands who want to do kind of like what we're doing makes sense because unless you have strong e-commerce capabilities of driving quality customers, if you're a specialty retailer, and I don't care if you're clothing, I don't care what, what products you sell, you need to be driving consumers. People wake up today on a Saturday, if they're going to go shopping for something, you know, it was compared to 20 years ago, they went to a newspaper, circled five locations, and they drove around to all of them. Today, they lean over, they open their laptop, and they start searching. Mm -hmm. And unless you're part of that game and you can drive people to a four-wall experience, mm -hmm be very, very hard to, to, to get the foot traffic you need and close sales at the rate that you need. Definitely. I think it really it really comes out in your voice, that that entrepreneurial spark and that desire to, to stay on top of trends. Um, I have so enjoyed our conversation today, Ron, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, well, you know, one of the, I, I, I love um, listening to Scott Galloway. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, he is brilliant. Um, he has podcasts. He he not only talks about you know uh, the evolution of business. He has uh, great foresight into the future, but he also understands life and talks about happiness. Uh, one of my favorite books this past year was one that he wrote called the um, the Algebra of Happiness, where um, he really talks in a very modern way about uh, how young folks could approach their life and what they could expect uh, from a happiness standpoint, because really at the end of the day, right, we're all just trying to be happy and, um, and, and, and meet our own expectations of how we want our life to go. Uh, so that's one. Um, uh, resources, uh, not sure. I, 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 would, I would make recommendations to uh, anyone who lives an entrepreneurial life, um, the energy level, the nights that you stay up, have to be matched with, uh, you know, exercise, playing mm -hmm. sports or riding bikes or just just hitting back at life. Don't just let it keep hitting you. Um, so uh, that would be uh, that would be that. Um, those are my those are my two things. That is that is excellent advice. I think um, that that whole image that a lot of people have of an entrepreneur, you've got to burn the candle at both ends and never sleep. That is not a sustainable <laughs> lifestyle for anybody. And if you if you have time away from it, you're actually going to come back with energy and with ideas and new perspectives that you wouldn't have if you were just constantly, you know, head down focused on the work. So yeah, great, it's, great it's it's total life success. Uh, anybody who thinks success is one dimensional, like just money they're wrong. You have to have total life success, you know, where you have, you know, nice relationships. Hopefully you can say, I love you a few times a week. Hopefully you get a few hugs a week if you're even more lucky. Um, and whether it be, you know, your pet, your spouse, your lover, whatever your life is, uh, be open, learn, read, um, relax, you know, find the time for yourself because, uh, you know, I've been at this a long time and 
you know, I've had the years where I forgot about that and, you know, building business, you wind up, you know, being up at night, curled up, biting your nails and sweating. And, you know, you have to combat that. You have to fight that with uh, living an extraordinary life and, and looking for total life success, the combination of, of everything. Definitely. Well, that is a great place to end the show. So Ron, if listeners want to learn more about you, where should they find you? Uh, again, uh, they can, um, Safa.com is my mm-hmm. company. Uh, and uh, Ron at SafaMattress.com. If anyone wants to send me an email, I'm happy to uh, uh, respond. I'm, I'm a pretty responsive person that way. And uh, that's where they can find me. All right. Yeah. Uh, the way you hear it in the commercials, S-W-A-T-V, S-W-A-T-V-A.com. I can't even say it. This is why S-A-N-T-V-A, I don't record this. S-W-A-T-V-A, correct. <laughs> yep. I'm like, that's not a W, that's a double A. But um, you have a, a person with a lovely voice who records those ads. <laughs> All right. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Ron. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. You just heard a conversation with Elizabeth Frederick and Ron Rudson, the CEO and president of The Sattva Company. You can find the notes and resources for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 319. As a reminder, if you subscribe to the show, you'll get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. If you enjoyed today's show, please recommend us to a friend to help more people discover it. Also, we love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us with questions, comments, feedback, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!